and welcome to the Our Metroidvania podcast. This is Caldrath from the Our Metroidvania subreddit and Discord. Hi, this is Master. I'm also from there. Hi, I'm Atsuro, and I'm the local horror enthusiastical fanatic fan person. I like horror. Yeah. But what kind of horror? Not <laughs> all kinds, honestly. Unless it's like the super gory kind, just for gore's sake. I do not like that kind of horror. And what are we there. playing today? We are playing Luigi's Mansion, the best Metroidvania made for the GameCube. <laughs> when Metroid Prime exists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here. Sorry, I have to open up my very loud pop. Oh, God, this game's so good. This is probably... I like how he, huh? like how he has to look at the map and is like, yes, there's a house here. Oh, yeah, it's directly in front of me. He won the mansion. Let him have his uh. Let him have his thing. This game is so good. It seems like something where you should like hire a contractor to go in and like do some stuff. First. Bro, this is this is the Mario Kingdom. You think they know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could probably hire some thwomps to just come in and level <laughs> the place. <laughs> This that game. increase or reduce or the property value, though? Like, is it better to have a haunted mansion or no Mania. mansion? I don't know. This game was great. Maybe Luigi just wants to build a shopping mall here. Or he could just rent the place out. Let the tenants deal with the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, I don't remember what I'm supposed to be doing. There it is. They had to trigger a cutscene. Yep. Lame. This was revolutionary for me as a child, okay? This game wasn't the scariest game I ever watched my mom play, but this was a pretty spooky game for me when I was a kid. I think the spookiest game I ever watched that she played it was one of her quit and clicks. And uh, you had a head you had to put on a spike to revive it, and when it woke up, it asked for water, and that freaked me the fuck out as a child. Still don't know what game it was, though. Did you give it water? I think she had to to progress it, yeah. <clears throat> Those heads on spikes are always so needy. Hmm. Pretty much. <laughs> God, I can't believe they got Charlie Day back this early in uh, Nintendo's era. Yeah, horror. I'm the theme of horror. What is horror? I'm assuming it is some sort of media that is attempted to evoke the emotion of fear. I'd agree with that. Horror is defined as an intense feeling of fear, shock, or disgust. I hate the disgust category. I don't like the disgust version. Yeah, it's uh, it's not that fun. You'd say that it's like all types of trying to make you uncomfortable. Yes. I mean, 
It can be, certainly. Uh, body horror can be utilized very effectively. However, I would say that the uh, type of horror media where it's simply a bunch of gore everywhere that it's probably meant to be both discussed. It ends up just feeling derivative or tedious and not the intended fear factor. Well, there are a lot of people who actually like having gore in them. I don't mind some gore. I just don't like it personally when it's the main focus of the game or movie. That's that's my thoughts with it. I almost feel like people... Uh, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like people end up enjoying movies with gore in them because they like seeing the cool practical effects that, too. that they use, which it's kind of like enjoying it on a meta level almost. I have to change my controller quick. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but also I wouldn't say that enjoying something on a meta level can easily coexist with being immersed in the media. And I think immersion is impo very important in atmospheric horror. Did you get your controller working? Yeah, I am flashing them too early. So what type of horror do you like the most? What horror-related game? Um, for me personally, it's usually the ones you can fight back in, and this is this is gonna be not like a weird one, but. Uh, RPG horror games. I fucking love RPG horror games, like The Witch's House and stuff. Love those. It's just a weird, like, uh, in, like, Eve, it's a nice mix of storytelling added on with, uh, puzzle solving to a degree. Not heavy puzzles. Are you sure? Yes, they're more like activities to you, but... Is La Mulana a horror game? It's horrifying how popular it is. <laughs> is it popular though? It doesn't have devoted to... people are to it. It doesn't have to be very popular for it to be overly popular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you get. I don't care about the gallery mansion. What about you, Caldra? Does. I'm not real. I have a problem with being able to suspend disbelief enough to like really appreciate any sort of horror, so I don't really have a like, genre of it that I like. Mario! I see. I think my favorite aspects of horror would be atmospheric. Mm -hmm. horror and the immersion associated with atmospheric horror because those often can exist in other games that aren't primarily horror games 
Uh, and I generally, I think if a game is trying to do atmospheric horror, it's trying to, of course, create an atmosphere, and that's already more than like you know the lower half of games would be doing. Lower half is the wrong term there. I mean, like on average, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of games don't care that much, or they don't commit to creating a sense of atmosphere. <laughs> so when atmospheric horror is done well, you probably already know because of that yeah, that, that sense the of atmosphere red. exists and it has a sense of place due to that. Games with immersion. Like this game. This has the best immersion of all three of the Luigi's Mansion games. Because you think the higher fidelity they get with the consoles, the better they would be, but no. We're trying to appeal more to a more general audience. No, it wasn't that. My main concern is. They changed the design of the ghosts, and you wouldn't think it wouldn't matter that much. But these little guys had a lot more personality than the ghosts they added in Dark Moon, which they kept up with oh, yeah. the next one. Like, the audience they were trying to appeal with, Spooky Metroid, this is definitely Spooky Metroid. Um, Quigley had a comment on the Twitch for all the podcast listeners later. Like, this game had this charm to it. The spooky, not quite campy, but not quite true horror charm to it. Mario! And it was lost heavily in Dark Moon. It gained some of that back with Luigi's Mansion 3, but there's something about this game they have not been able to replicate. And the people they're aiming for are the original, the people who played this game. Like, they won't keep making them if people didn't keep wanting them, but what they wanted was more like this, in my opinion. Is that just due to the fact that this was the first game in the series and was nostalgic for many of the people no. who would be playing the series? For me, at least, it's how they did the lighting, how they did the areas. It's a lot more spooky, essentially. Like, when you're in these areas, there's no music. It's only Luigi coming. You hear nothing else but Luigi. In terms of music. In the newer one, it's all music throughout the whole thing. There's no sense of silence. There's no sense that there's something here that shouldn't be. It just feels like, oh, I'm exploring this Mario game. Well, this game felt like... This didn't feel like a Mario game. Or like a Mario series game. This very much, for me, felt detached. It felt was like, I need to correct something that went wrong. And it felt like they just used the Mario characters to kind of fill the story they were trying to tell, rather than making it a Mario kind of space game. And like Quigley just said, uh, three death felt like too linear of a game. Like the goal was get elevator button, beat boss, repeat. And that's very true, sadly. This game had a lot more openness where you could go and stuff. Thanks. 
So do you think that they just like shunted the Mario characters into a game kind of like Super Mario Brothers 2? I don't know if they did. And if they did do it that way, uh, I'm more than fine with it because Luigi is one of my favorite characters and this boy deserves more of his own games. And I'm more than fine with him having the ghost hunting games because that's sick as shit. Yeah. Yeah. They tend to portray Mario as ever being scared, but they're okay with feeling Luigi is being scared. Yep, that's just kind of the personality he's developed, and I've kind of been fine with that. Because it really works with their personality differences. And I hope they show that off in the new Mario movie coming up. <laughs> Nintendo did a light-slash-dark motif with the Mario Bros. in the GameCube era. I can see that, actually. That makes sense. Because, yeah, Mario had all the bright, sunny games. Well, this game was kind of them testing out, it feels like... ...doing the darker games, because Sunshine was bright. I mean, it's in the name. Exactly. Well, this yeah, one... I think in GameCube, like that was when, the, or yeah, GameCube was about when they were trying to um, switch to like more mature games. Yeah. Oh, definitely. What's the name of that one where it had like the sanity bar? Sanity bar? Yeah. Um. I think I know what you're talking about. Neural uh, Darkness. Uh, yeah. Mario. Played that recently. What was it? Neural Darkness. Was that a Nintendo game? Um. It well, it was released on the GameCube. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was that was one of the games that like tried to do something different with horror, because yeah, I, I said it had a sanity meter. And if your sanity bar got too high, then it would start showing weird stuff. Yeah. I also like Luigi. He'll talk. Eternal Darkness does a lot of uh, kind of meta stuff. It tries to mess with you in interesting ways. Like um, some of the most obvious examples that don't quite hold up as well today would be having having a volume bar for a cathode ray television appear on the bottom of the screen and you see it getting turned down and then the game mutes itself for a while before it turns back up so I'm, I'm sure when that game was new there were a lot of people who thought they were sitting on their remote or something and turning down the volume Sometimes it would do things like you enter a room and then you just get teleported back to the start of a room, or an enemy will not be killable and it will approach and kill you, and you're kind of confused as to how that happened, and then the game flashes and you're back at the start of the room you should be in. Uh, there were some pretty humorous 
bits in that game as well. I think my favorite is at one point a screen pops up, it says something like the adventure continues in eternal darkness too. There's like a fake advertisement basically for the next <laughs> game before the game resumes and lets you keep playing. Just had some interesting stuff like that. The problem or, um, I had with that game though was that eventually you get um, so you, you get spells in that game and like you get like mixed components of them and you eventually like one of the components like you can choose to heal something and one of the things that you can heal is sanity and so eventually you just like can shut off the whole system. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think by then though, uh, might be depending on which which uh color you picked at the beginning but at that point you should know what the sanity stuff does generally and like I never healed my sanity because I liked having weird sanity effects but I suppose you might also one might also find it tedious if Similar types of things keep happening, they just want to finish the game, so that for that reason they would heal their sanity. One of those, the players will optimize the fun out of the game if you let them. Yeah. Yeah, there were, uh, mm -hmm. some, some of the effects also kind of simulated glitches. Like, your player would start sinking into the floor in a very, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like it looks like something's wrong with the game. And... It's kind of believable, just because games tend to be buggy like that. Not the best example of a game that does its horror elements super well, I think. Just because of the fact that it's... It acknowledges your presence as the player because of all the meta stuff. And uh, it's also more action oriented. And it does the. It does that thing where it tries to be kind of spooky Lovecraftian, but because it's depicting. It, it's depicting those elements, and in doing so, it tends to take away from the uh, almost the point of that kind of thing which is that it should be subtle but when you're running around stabbing creatures for 15 hours then it doesn't really feel like that do you like me stabbing some monsters in a horror game uh, one thing I can say for that is that they used multiple characters, um, so it was possible for characters to die in the story, um, whereas most horror games, you kind of can assume that your character's just got, got plot armor, and it's going to make it through. Actually, yeah, I agree. You're, um, in that game, you're essentially playing through things that have happened in the past for much of the game, so you, you you know that something has happened to the character, they've accomplished something, and you 
wonder what their fate is exactly. Which, uh... There's a word for that. I'm not sure what it is. Sort of dramatic tension. But you do have, through the nature of the story, lets you know that something is happening to this character. Like it's foreshadowed, basically. And tension is in seeing how their fate resolves, versus wondering if they will. You already know that they're going to accomplish their goal because of the fact that you and the presence bear the fruit of their goal. at least one that I recall that like trying to do something and then just like being a complete and utter failure when the time came to do it. Cabin in the woods? Well, I I'm talking about it in Eternal Darkness. Oh, in Eternal. Okay, I was gonna say. Movie-wise, that's Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> How did Cabin in the Woods come up? Uh... The main characters knew what they had to do, but they completely failed at it. Oh, oh yeah, Cabin in the Woods is great, Quigley. Do not get me wrong, Cabin in the Woods is a great movie, but they completely failed in terms of the main character, the protags winning. Everyone died. So. If you say that, you typically don't suspend your disbelief in games. But would you say that there is a type of game perspective that helps you feel any more or less immersed in a game? Like first person or side scrolling? Uh, I don't think that makes too much of a difference. Usually I like, con I consider it like either me vicarious, like I don't really put myself in the games. Like I'm either like experiencing somebody else, like I'm vicariously experiencing these things. Look, I know, ask because I know for some people it's a lot easier for them to be immersed in a first person game. And they find it very hard to feel any kind of investment when they're playing a game where you're, you can see your own character. Which, uh, Atsura, how do you feel about that? I can get into a game regardless. Um, 
If it's a first-person game where I am, like, the character, like, I have a set character, who I'm playing as, like, Resident Evil 7. I'm the main guy, I forgot his name. Ethan? Oh, Ethan, thank you, I completely blanked on his name. When it's something like that, it's a little... I get immersed, but I know it's not me. Um, when it's more first person, like Skyrim and stuff, I can get a little more into it. But I am very much of the mind that in the end of the day, it is just a game, or it is just a movie. I can suspend my disbelief enough for me to enjoy it, but I'm not so immersed that I'm gonna, like, have a heart attack over something scaring me. I guess I'm the same. I mean, I... I'd assume that that's the way it is for most people, where they don't truly feel horrified at a horror game. Oh no, not my friend. He cannot play. He he could barely get through Half-Life Alex, And I loved Half-Life Alex. I need to beat that. But he couldn't get through it. He's like, okay, it's too, it feels too real. It's too scary. And I'm like, bro, this is... What do you mean? Like it's it's at the end of the day, it's just a game, and he can't do it. Yeah, it is interesting how some people's brains seem to just work differently in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, like when you think of the these as games, um. Like I was saying before, like, you know that if there's, like, you know Luigi's gonna make it to the end of this game. Um, Actually, back in the day, they had a mechanic where if you didn't beat it within, like, the time of a night, you would get a game over. Yeah, but that's gonna be the game being over. It's not gonna be, like, oh, Luigi dies. Yeah. yeah. That's true, but... At the end of the day, for this at least, it's still a Mario game. It can't game do anything theory. too dark. Game theory. Luigi is dead in Luigi's Mansion? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I bet you that is already a video. The main area. That was a fake door. I forgot about that. He was very enthusiastic about opening that door. Oh, where's the gold? No, I'm gonna miss it because of you, you bomb fucker! Get in here! Oh. Oh, there's a bunch of them just about Luigi being dead in Luigi's Mansion. Oh, I told you. Very common theory. At least a couple about... One of them is asking if Bowser's dead. Mm -hmm. Bowser oh. have anything to do with this game? And... Do you want spoilers? No. Probably never gonna play this game. I'll probably play the third one. It, it's not really super spoilers for this one, if I'm gonna be honest. Because technically, no, Bowser is not in this game. No spoilers that Bowser isn't in this game? He is, but he isn't, yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's final boss shenanigans. Give me the key. Well, obviously we're gonna get, like, you're gonna get through this game and we're gonna see the final boss. God, I think I can beat this game in, like, two, three and a half hours? I don't remember how long it actually takes me, if I'm gonna be honest. 
Like, okay, we're 30 minutes in. I am not gonna be able to beat this game tonight. I am so this is a this is a three-floor fucking mansion with a basement. This is a this is not your grandma's house. This is an actual mansion. You don't know my grandma. Does your grandma have a mansion? No. <laughs> so I oh, you didn't know that. <laughs> no, but I could assume most people don't have mansions. So oh, God, I think so that the horror elements in other games are interesting, though it's also difficult to define what is a horror element when it's just an element in another game. Because yeah, yeah. maybe where they have zombies and vampires and all that, none of them are scary at all. No, some of the backgrounds I wouldn't say are scary, but they're definitely grotesque and gruesome at times. Like, that's something Castlevania does well. For how campy it is, some of those backgrounds and some of those, like, like the, the zombie, um, zombie soldier from Aria of Sorrow, it has its guts hanging out. It's cut in, like, its stomach is ripped open and you can see its guts falling out. It's not exactly horrific, but when you kind of stop to think about it, you're like, oh, that's actually kind of fucked up. And they have a couple things like that in the games, like uh, Aria of Sorrow, the throne room. Just the whole floor covered in blood. And it's not something you think as super horrifying when you're desensitized as fuck to it, like I am. But you kind of look at it and you're like, oh shit, that's actually kind of, ugh. Like, if you saw that in real life, you'd be like, what the fuck? Legion is the closest thing, Castlevania has to actual horror. I mean, all the other stuff, like you said, is kind of just grotesque or campy. And Legion's kind of grotesque, but it's also, I don't know, maybe you'd describe it as a body horror thing? Yes. And that's, uh, that's the other one too. It's a body horror thing. Castlevania wasn't supposed to be super scary. They they reference so many horror tropes. Um, kind of as a joke at the very end, but yeah. But you look at some of that stuff and you're like, shit. Yeah, I, I think that uh, horror elements can arise just from any sufficiently intense situation. Like, uh, Subnautica. Yes. Just having a game where there are threats can, of course, you know, every, many, many games have threats in them, but perhaps it is the not having the ability to deal with threats. That is one of the main forms of tension in video games. Yeah. Having to coexist with a threat or not knowing exactly what an entity will do. 
through its yeah. unpredictability or your lack of familiarity with it. And the fear of the ocean is a fear shared by many people. That never helps. Yeah. Fear of the unknown. That as well. I uh, suppose you could say Rain World also does that well. I mean, even if you're not, even if you aren't the kind of person who is scared of the game or thinks that it's horrifying, there's still t there's still tension created because that game has consequences for dying to a degree. So can still be stressed about whether or not you think this creature you haven't seen before is going to eat you or how it's going to eat you. Part of the issue with uh, Subnautica is there was like pretty much no penalty for dying. I mean, that's the same issue that a lot of horror games have because a lot of people find dying penalties just to be tedious. And. Yeah. That's yeah. That's the thing. If you by having penalties for dying, you are in a sense wasting someone's time, even though that fear of losing progress can contribute to the atmosphere. It can also just make someone frustrated with the game yeah. and not actually immerse them anymore in it. That depends on the person. Yeah, like a lot of times people will be like like feel fear in a game even when there's like no stakes whatsoever and so they don't need game mechanics to reinforce that but then other people like like I kind of need um, game mechanics to make me concerned about something. so like <laughs> Probably one of the scariest things that I've experienced in a game is like in environmental station alpha, you like just beat a boss and you got like one health left oh, and you have to get back to a save point. The old Castlevania bullshit. Grant. Yep. Is that his name? What is his name? Grant. The boss from the dude you fight in, uh, Circle, uh, circle of the. Uh, oh, not the, Prince. Oh, I know what who you're gosh. talking about. Yeah, yeah, the the guy, um, your rival. There's Nathan Graves, and then yeah. Of course, he's not Grant. Yeah, it's never Grant. Uh, Nathan Graves is rival. Yeah, Hugh. 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 Yeah, I was watching that Zero fight that guy. I died, and yeah. then I had to refight him. <laughs> yep. Fucking sucked. That, that's true horror. Especially if someone gets stuck on a part of a game, having to redo a lot of that, what they perceive to be work again, every time they die can be very uh, disheartening. Like having a long run back to a difficult boss, that doesn't really... Like you could say that that increases the tension in the boss, which does, but it's not 
necessarily appreciated. I guess the, the best times to have penalties are when you don't expect people to be inflicted with those pen penalties very much. Wonder if some games would benefit from a system where after a certain number of deaths something is changed to make it easier. And I don't mean like the chicken suit and Metal Gear, I mean cutting some of the tedious time, like the run back to a boss if you've died to a boss more than a couple times. Or otherwise having some option to fight them without excessive tedium like a practice mm -hmm. mode. Well, theoretically, you should be getting better at the run back the more times you do it mm -hmm. as well. Um, assuming that the run back is well designed so that it can be optimized. Right, and if it's not, then it's just tedious. Right. So one other thing, like, there, part of the problem is that it's like, a lot of the death penalties are, like, repeated, and they're always this just, like, thing where it makes you, all, like, replay stuff again. But there's a, like, as much as I complain about Sekiro all the time, one of the things that it did that was interesting was that it, when you die, um, you, like, if you die enough times, then it, like, gives, like, Dragon Rod or something like that to the NPCs. Um, so there's, like, actual penalties to the other people in the world from you dying excessively. Part of the problem with that game, though, is that you could just easily buy it off and, like, oh, now the penalty's gone. Don't care anymore. Um, but there could have been potential there for it to, like, be interesting in that, like, the game world is being negatively affected by your deaths. I guess Unsighted might be another one where you could um, say that was a better implementation because when you would die, um, it would, like, time would be passing and when time passes that makes it so that people run, like, run out of their time and then they can die. Remember that. How would you feel about a system where there is only a chance of a penalty happening? I think that having a chance of a penalty happening, but not having it happen every time would create tension because of the uncertainty associated with it, and it would also decrease the amount of penalty inflicted on someone if they're, say, dying a lot. So that might be an interesting solution. It would solution. still create a lot of, like, ugh, when you get the penalty, though. And let's say they had a really bad run, and then they get the penalty, and it's just like a double fuck, honestly. It also depends on what type of penalty it is. Yeah. Like, if you're still using the, oh, uh, like, you lose a bunch of XP penalty, or you have to, like, do a long run bad penalty, then it's going to be annoying. But changing it to a chance is basically just, like, making a multiplier on whatever the penalty is. So if there's, like, a uh, 1 in 100 chance of getting, like, losing 100 of whatever is basically the same as averaging losing one of that thing each time. I mean, it's true that mathematically it's 
the same on average, but I I think that knowing that there's a chance of something going wrong, but it not being a guarantee will create tension despite so say there's a very low chance of something bad happening. Uh, someone may worry about that bad thing happening and it would create more suspense than the penalty would earn in a sense. So I agree that it would increase the tension, it's just the annoyance would be the same. Yeah. So. Um, Quigley also said, what about certain games where the challenge is getting through the tough scenario in one piece? For a lot of them, the challenge is the experience. Yeah, that's kind of getting back to the whole Mario. difficulty oh, yeah. Yeah. thing. Yeah. So like he said, like Dead Space, for example, and I I don't remember dying very often in Dead Space. So it didn't really have that tension in that aspect. Dead Space has extremely frequent uh, checkpoints, though. Like, every other room is an autosave, basically. I think it does kind of expect you to die a lot randomly. Especially, um, it's actually really nice that it does that, because there were a lot of hallways, I guess, where you have, like, quick time events or specific encounters that are kind of meant to surprise you. And a part of that game is, uh, they have a lot of different death animations for the character. So they probably, they, they want you to experience some of those because they consider that part of the content of the game. So they'll spring slightly unfair, uh, encounters on you, expecting you to maybe die. And then they're kind of like, sorry that I did that though, you can, re you can restart at the beginning of that room. Do you think, like, uh, in the Tomb Raider games where they have those, like, excessively brutal death animations, um, do you think that was them trying to, like, tap into horror aspects? I mean, I think that definitely worked. I, I think the reason they did that, though, is because the whole thing with the 2014 Tomb Raider remake where they were trying to make it grittier, I don't think they were necessarily trying to make it horror, just more realistic, quote-unquote. And, uh, I mean, Laura does get, uh, brutalized a bit in that game. I mean, I'm not pointing fingers, but I kind of wonder what some of the people were thinking when they were making that. Yeah, I guess the goes back to like the gore thing. Like, yeah. there's there's the difference between like shock horror and um, atmospheric horror. Yeah. And like, usually that's a shock horror thing. Now we could talk about uh, Majora's Mask and uh, Twilight or not Twilight Princess, Ocarina of Time. Can we? Yeah, because I kind of had a mix of both. Oh. Like, uh, in, Dead Hand, for example. In Majora's Mask is certainly kind of unsettling because it's odd. And I think that's 
usually a pretty effective way of giving something more creepy atmosphere. And the looming threat of death. Sure. Of the whole entire country that you are in. And the death of every single person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been playing through Bloodborne recently, and it does some... In addition to, you know, just having, like, beasts everywhere and blood, it does some more subtle stuff that adds to the atmosphere a lot. I don't really want to elaborate on. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, that that is a problem with a lot of these horror-based things, is that they are spoilery. Oh, shit. Hmm. I, is it? It seems like it's more likely for something to be a um, spoiler-like territory when it's horror-related. Because half of the horror comes from the surprise. Yeah. From wondering about and not knowing something. Mm. Something important. Hmm. We're just noticing... Noticing details about things. And... Wondering what brought about those details exactly. There's a bit of a sense of mystery there. But also, just... No. It's almost like... Find, finding those kinds of details that you later understand. You understand the reasons why they exist. It's kind of a reward for paying attention in a way. And it's, it's nice. Like, when there's a twist and it recontextualizes a lot of prior things, then you, like, get all of the emotion of those things that you realize all at once. Um, yeah. Which can increase the impact of it. Yeah. It can be effective. It's, uh... Man, it's... It's annoying when something doesn't start out as being horror and then it transitions to being... I don't know, say it's it turns out to be uh, Lovecraftian horror all along. But if you tell someone that it's Lovecraftian horror, then you're setting expectations for them going in. And it's a lot better to naturally experience the transition than to know ahead of time that the game is going to transition into more horror for the media. Yeah, like, it's kind of similar to The Messenger, where it's like, how do you convince a Metroidvania fan to play The Messenger without just spoiling the whole thing for them? Or uh, how do it you... has sexy-ass fucking pixels and bomb-ass music. Well, that's not enough. That is more than enough! What are you talking about? Then again, I don't really care if a game's a Metroidvania in the end, as long as it's fun. <laughs> There's this album that I listened to recently, and I know like I know people who enjoy specifically like Lovecraftian themed, I'll say, uh, like horror or just stories in general that you could say are set in that universe. 
but I don't want to tell them that halfway through the album, Eldritch stuff starts happening because that's gonna, like, you know, it's gonna spoil it. But also, if I don't tell them that, they're not gonna be interested in it. So. Yeah. Like, Doki Doki Literature Club, like, there's zero chance that I would have considered playing that. If you um, didn't know the twist. Exactly. Such a good twist, though. That one was really done well for horror, I think. Both in the shock and then just the build-up, in my opinion. I mean, it's not a horror game, guys. It's a great dating sim. You should read it. It does kind of... Someone tells me that there's, like, a twist, or... If I'm told about the nature of something that I'm not supposed to know about, it makes me not want to... Sometimes it makes me not want to play the game as much. Because I feel like oh. I feel like I'll be going into it with different expectations than I otherwise would have, which means that I'm well. If I'm going into it with expectations that aren't immediately met because of the nature of it being a twist, then I'm not like I'm not getting the experience that I was thinking that I would get going into the game. But also, getting a different experience from what you anticipated is kind of the, what the game wants to happen, but in the opposite way. Like, it wants you to think it's one thing, and then it's another thing. If you think it's that other thing, then you get a lot of that one thing. I just, uh, there's less enjoyment to be had there. Damn, and I'm over here just like, ah, is game fun? Part of that's also just because if you're told about something, you, at least I will sometimes, like, think that I have more of an understanding of it than I do, like, if something about a game is spoiled to me. There's a particular game, which of course I won't name, that has been popular rec fairly recently, that, uh, people talk about it having kind of several different games in it, several layers of game. And, like, me knowing... People spoiling what those are makes me not care as much about it. Because if I were to play it expecting the first type of game and then I got two different types of games, that would be a lot more emotionally impactful than expecting three different kinds of games and getting three different kinds of games. If that makes any sense. It does. I guess I just don't put that much stock into stuff like that. Like, I'm very much about game fun, good. Like, it's not that I wouldn't enjoy it. It's that I often think that I won't enjoy things because of that kind of knowledge. I, I guess I have a problem with a lot of times I'll think I won't enjoy a game and it turns out I actually do. Like maybe I think that I'm harder to please than I actually am. And if I just went and played a game I'd probably enjoy it plenty. Like this game in question, I'm sure if I went and played it I would enjoy it. It's, it's just when, when people describe that kind of thing, it Doesn't impacts my like perception that. of yeah. the game. Like, 
people have preferences, but then games are also like have varying levels of quality for like what type of game they are. And sometimes like a game might be like exactly your preference, but it's not a very good execution of it, or vice versa. And so you wind up liking a game that you, based on the description, thought you might not like, and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, the execution may matter a lot more than the concept, and your preconceptions of the concept will greatly impact how much you think you enjoy the execution. Don't, don't, don't grab me! Don't grab me! No, get away! Sorry, you could say that this is tension because you're getting grabbed. Grab? That's a bad touch. Oh, money! Oh man, I had a thought like 20 minutes ago. I don't remember what it was now. Oh no. But oh yeah, horror, horror elements in non-horror games. We kind of touched on it. Yeah, so you have to ask what is a horror element? Because, like, you know, some people may claim that... No. Uh, does, is Doom 2016 a horror game? Is Doom 3 a horror game? If you know both of those games, then you'll know why I ask that question. I, from, I haven't played Doom 3, but from what I hear, it's supposed to have, like, you can't have your gun and your flashlight out at the same time, so... In the original edition, yes. Oh, they changed that? Yeah, they changed it in the uh, BFG edition, and that actually removed a lot of the horror elements for people because, uh, you know, not being able to see things turns out to be very important for uh, spooking people. Yes, actually, that's a good point. They released this game back on the 3DS, and people hated it because they turned up the brightness. It just killed the vibe of the game. It just didn't have that same kind of feel to it, because as simple as just turning up the brightness or the gamma, it completely yeah. wrecked the feel of it. Okay, this is uh, almost a tangent, but uh, I, so I've been playing Bloodborne on a CRT, and it's a lot darker on that type of television. Oh, and it also obscures detail, and I think it actually impacts atmosphere a lot. For better can, or worse? For better. Okay. When you can obscure detail, because a lot of, uh, a lot of horror comes from the mind. Yep. With mm -hmm. filling in details. So you want things to be dark and ambiguous. So when, when things are too detailed, like if you see, if you look up and find an expensive looking 3D render of like a spooky creature, just a normal lighting, you know, it won't be, you won't be spooked at all because it, it's just, it looks like an expensive render of a creature. But, uh, yeah, showing, showing the creature generally when you have a spooky creature as little as possible, I think makes it a lot better. I mean, that's what Alien did, which I think that was... I, I remember hearing somewhere the reason why 
that's the case in Alien is because of like budgetary reasons and only getting the alien suit puppet whatever to look so good and they just didn't want to show it in proper lighting because of that do not blame them which i mean having having the alien be in the darkness or out of focus in the background adds a lot to the atmosphere and i think a lot of times like a horror movie or whatever will just they'll jump the gun and they'll show a creature early on and that just kind of kills a lot of the tension knowing exactly what it looks like or knowing, if, you, if it looks goofy now you know there's just this goofy creature running around oh they actually did that in the exorcist if they didn't oh. do that like they didn't show the monster but in the like director's cut version they added this stupid like PNG picture of Pazuzu um over some scenes and it just killed the vibe. Like The Exorcist is a very, very good movie, but that part was just done so badly when they in the director's cut. The original yeah, version's hot. fine. Yeah, it was just a weird design choice and it was terrible. It just like just let people people use their imaginations exactly. for stuff, you know? It's gonna gonna help you out their imagination is gonna be worse than what you can come up with Good, better oh i meant worse from like oh it's gonna be more terrifying but yes <laughs> all right i gotta follow this nerd that ghost dracula no that's the butler right so uh, I think the Doom games are an interesting example of horror elements in the game because, well, just take the original, plenty of people would claim it has horror elements, but also because of the art and because of what the first-person shooter genre has come to be since then, most people nowadays would not consider it horrifying at all. I think yeah. it's like part of the power fantasy thing where it's like this thing that should be scary isn't scary to you, so it makes you feel more powerful. Maybe. Then you have uh, Doom 3 trying to recapture the horror elements I suppose and it makes everything very dark it adds jump scares into the game does the whole flashlight thing and some people I've known people who claim that that's the scariest doom game I guess but also I've known plenty of people who have said that the just the game's reliance on jump scares completely kills the any mm. horror aspect it might have had just because it's kind of goofy it's jump yeah. scares at times i i get that complaint I had to go into that room and then you have doom 2016 wherein the the demons 
look probably the best that they've looked in any Doom game. Yep. And the game does lighting fairly well, and yet it still has a strong combat focus. But it also feels more like... It feels like it's structured more like... Uh, I suppose a horror plot might be... Um, then didn't Doom Eternal kind of go, not the campy route, but some ti at times the more comedic route? Oh, Doom Eternal is incredibly campy. <laughs> Doom 2016. I've never played them, so. Yeah. Doom 2016 kind of went for a more realistic, less cartoony take. Like, less cartoony is what I mean when I say realistic. Uh, and... It's... I mean, I think it mostly succeeded with that. And Doom Eternal, however, doesn't... It doesn't really do that. The monsters are more cartoony looking. And the plot feels uh, not as focused. In, in Doom 2016, you're pretty much just, you know, stopping a demonic invasion. And it's kind of straightforward. Uh, imagine the kinds of things you'd have to do in that game. Mostly just going through the level to get to the place you need to go to do the thing. And uh, but Doom Eternal has you have a lot of different objectives. Like one of your objectives is assassinating three different uh like demon commanders basically mm -hmm. and it uh it feels a lot different i suppose because of that it feels more like a video game objective unless like something you're naturally doing perhaps. oh i get you yeah like and it's also not something you necessarily feel like you're pressured into doing. Like, um, Doom 2016, you know, it's like a sequence of events, in a way. But Doom Eternal, like, you teleport into a level to do something, then you teleport back out of it. Then you teleport to the next place, and you teleport out of it, essentially. Uh, I think a lot of... A lot of games kind of follow a similar format with how they approach their story. Um, so, Doom 3, the way you go about objectives in that game is very similar to how you go about objectives in Dead Space. And um, let me think of more examples. Like it's almost almost a subgenre of sorts of games and horror games in which you have like a certain amount of objectives to do that almost feel like they're side missions or that they're missions that are distracting from your main objective in the way that a main quest might be convoluted in an RPG. It's like, oh, I need to go, I need to go reset the power so I can hack the terminal 
so I can lower the elevator so I can get to the control room so I can do my main objective there. And there's like a series of distractions almost that pad out the game. And those kinds of objectives, I think they can take away from the atmosphere. But there's also often the surprise of, oh no, it turns out the thing that you did didn't actually work and you need to do this other thing first. Which, not sure if that's necessarily good or bad. Feels very fetch questy sometimes. Yeah. Think in moderation, it's fine. Or like, you know, think you're about to accomplish something, then surprise you don't accomplish the thing. That can that can add tension. But most of the time I don't believe that it does. But my point kind of was that Doom 2016 doesn't really do that. You mostly accomplish things as you play through the game. And in similar action-oriented games, you may not feel like you're accomplishing anything. Because, I guess as an action game, they need an excuse for you to go around and do the action, even though they're trying to be a horror game at the same time. Uh, do the... did you say the Resident Evil games do that? Yeah, that's pretty much all that Resident Evil is. The, though they keep uh, changing up the formula sometimes. Oh no! In Resident Evil's often like, oh, you have to solve the area puzzle, and to do that, you have to do a bunch of random stuff and explore and find the four keys necessary to solve the puzzle. Yeah, they, they feel like they're like the early ones felt fairly similar to like point-click adventure games with tank controls. I feel like Reds. I guess they kind of. Well, one and two were pretty similar. Three, they started adding some like quick time event stuff to the combat where you could like dodge things. So it was making it a little bit more action oriented. And then Resident Evil 4 just like. was just a straight up action game, I felt like. Yeah. Mario? Then like five, I felt like it was even more of an action game. And then six, they kind of had this like like three separate campaigns where they were trying to like make them have a different feel to them. So like one of them was more action oriented, one of them was more um, similar to like the old style games. And I don't remember what the other one was. Maybe like stealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose that's the the problem with a lot of games that are trying to be action-oriented and also horror, which is ultimately the point of talking about Doom, is that in order to facilitate the gameplay, you may have to sacrifice some of the horror elements you want to include in the game. And not to say that a game can't be full of action and also a good atmosphere, anything. Metroid, um, I mean, Yeah. I'd say the... 
thinking of first-person games, the stalker games do it pretty well. You're constantly moving around and, you know, shooting things, but the game is good at, at maintaining tension and also uh, pacing different types of encounters. Like just fighting random dudes versus fighting some mutated creature jumps on you or something. Mario. I suppose it comes down to uh, you can have atmosphere, atmospheric horror in a lot in any type of game, even an action-oriented game. But if you want to lean more heavily on horror elements, it's hard to do that. And also keep the action. Like some of the unless you go to grotesque and like uh, that kind of horror. Sure. Well, so when it's action oriented, it's kind of hard to maintain horror where you're feeling like your character is threatened. Um, but there's lots of different types of horror, um, but you can still use any of the other types. Kind of like what we mentioned earlier, but having a threat that you can't deal with is not something you can always do in action game you can do what Resident Evil did to pretty you know what it did successfully I'd say with having an enemy you cannot kill follow you around even though you've got all the action going on in Resident Evil 2 or 3 having something you cannot kill uh, helps bring in more of the horror elements, I'd say. Well, it, you could knock out things. Like, 3 was the one that mo most emphasized the, like, things falling around everywhere. And Nemesis, you could definitely knock them out. Which was a lot easier to do after um, you got some of the, like, super weapons. Because that's an interesting thing that Resident Evil does, is it often gives you, like, super weapons after you've beaten the game once. And so it's just like, oh, I just have an infinite-use rocket launcher now. And I'll just blow up whatever I run across. <laughs> you know, I think that's a fun reward, especially when playing on a harder difficulty, maybe running around enemies trying to conserve ammo for most of the game. You don't really have a chance to use stuff you may want to use yeah you're saving it uh quigley brought up uh amnesia too which yeah. i remember that being like prime real estate of youtube horror gaming back in the day yeah but amnesia is good it's rather unique in uh a mechanic okay. where what oh the stuff that you gotta use loud down at home or whatever the fuck you have to use that to heal your sanity well, it's, it's unique in the mechanic where you cannot look at the enemies for an extended period of time because that drains your sanity. Yeah. So, 
that really that helps with uh, you know the whole implication thing. Like, if you can adequately observe the threat, then it may be less threatening. But if you're only catching glimpses of an enemy who can actually hurt you because the game incentivizes you not to look at it, then that enhances the experience over having a player just stare at the monster constantly. Yeah. Going about their business. Because another thing, the games will try to do something similar where they'll like flash something on the edge of your vision or you'll see something down the hallway and then it disappears, but that's like you know that's not a threat when you're playing the game. And oftentimes that doesn't it's not a very effective way to increase tension for most people. Because they know that that's just a scripted event in the game. That's a lot different from having an entity that acts on its own and can find you. Which is what the enemies in Amnesia can do. Mm -hmm. even, if, even if they're just patrolling around on a set path. So yeah, I think it's very smart that the game tells you not to look at its monsters. Uh, looking at them might... Aggro them? I don't remember. Like, there's, you know, you have several gameplay reasons not to look at them. Then, of course, that game also, Amnesia, has the whole sanity thing where being in the darkness drains your sanity. In Jets, being in the darkness is also the best place to hide from monsters. So, you have to make sacrifices. And you feel like you are losing a resource that you have just by avoiding the monsters. Which, uh. If we don't have anything else to say about that, then I can talk about resource acquisition. But before that, what do you guys think about Amnesia? I personally enjoyed watching a lot of the videos. I never bought it, sadly. I am. I was a broke child. But I very much enjoyed all the, honestly, all the games that came out of it, like the, the sub-games, the mods. You know, those got insane. There's some really good ones back in the day that were, I would say, more horrifying than the base game. And it just was a very different kind of game where you never saw the threat. Or you're not supposed to see the threat, and if you do see the threat, you're kind of screwed. And I think it kind of did that more, not eldritch, uh, but that kind of style of game where don't look at the threat better than most novels, movies, stuff like that have ever, has done since. It should be done more often. Don't look at the monster, it's bad. It does do interesting things throughout the game. And it's got a, you know, it's got a narrative going on well that isn't the generic horror narrative it's uh got some fun exploration a bit of that kleptomaniac <laughs> thing where you're just going around picking up lots of little items you find on shelves and stuff which i actually rather enjoy i love that i love being able to be a thief in a game 
first-person first person games do that a lot better than <laughs> first-person games it because like there's... you're the one stealing! Well, because there's, like, when you have a third-person game or whatever, it's usually like, oh, there's an interactable object over there, and, like, it's shining, and you gotta go... Yeah, that's true. ...touch it, but in first-person, you can... You can put just tiny objects everywhere, different elevations and such, and people have to look at them to, you know, see them. There's actually... You actually have to kind of look at, look for things and find things rather than just interacting with everything that's obviously yeah. interactable in the area. Misha also has enemies that are completely invisible, which is yeah. interesting. I don't remember all of what it does with some of the other mechanics, but no, the invisible enemy thing's interesting because they're in areas with water, so you can see them splashing towards you, but you can't actually see what it is. I know that's... Oh, the water ones! Yeah, you're right, the water enemies. Maybe I should mention that, actually, in case that's like a mild spoiler, but... I don't whatever. think it is. I mean, okay, the game is so old. Uh, oh, before I forget, another uh, type of horror is... Uh, have you guys played Soma? I kind of don't even want to talk about it because that's the kind of game very unique in what it does and you should probably experience it for yourself but I mean the best way to describe it would be existential horror it it has a certain you have certain thoughts about certain things Maybe there's some philosophy involved. Some activities. <laughs> I actually have some. Uh, you might find it interesting. You should try playing it. I actually have both Amnesia and someone for some reason. Not played out of it. I don't know what it means to gold it. Does that mean once? No, because I two-cycled him. I don't know what the gold versus the silver frames mean anymore. I never actually finished Soma. I played through a bit of it, but uh, I mean, I would still recommend it, even you know, despite that. So, oh yeah, another. Another mechanic that can tie into horror is just resource acquisition and usage. Uh, survival elements can... Yep. They lend themselves pretty well to horror, I think. They Maybe can until the resource management becomes a grind. Well, ideally you won't have resource management be a grind. It's just you use resources as you find them and... I mean, in, in Resident Evil, there's not really a way to grind for resources, you just find the resources. Oh, that kind of resource management, yeah. That, for some reason, reminds me of an old-ass horror game called, I think it was Lone Survivor. Uh, Markiplier played it probably, like, ten mm -hmm. years-ish ago. And it was this pixel horror game. It was really well done, and all I remember from it, though, is, like, you have to be super specific for how you play it or else you won't get the best ending. But it was heavy on what resources you can and can't use, 
and how you use those resources. For some reason, that just reminded me of it. Sounds like a nightmare for future suture. Probably. I think resource management is just one of the best ways to create tension. And I mean, when we talk about horror games, a lot of what we're talking about is how to create tension, really. And uh, making the player slow down and think about what they're using and what they're doing and making them ground around for resources, as long as it's not incredibly tedious, like running through the entire level looking for ammo or something, but it's annoying. But, uh, I guess when I'm thinking of this kind of mechanic, I'm not thinking of, like, an open-world survival craft game or something. I'm thinking of a game like Stalker or Metro, where you, uh, like, there's there's only a certain amount of resources, and you have to find them as you go through the mm -hmm. levels, so there's not really a grind for them. It's just you're trying to find enough resources to survive, and if you explore, you will. Yeah. But there are still times where you may find yourself running low on your resources, and you have to figure out how to best utilize them. That's, but uh, maybe... That was me with uh, Half-Life Alex. Yeah, maybe I'm overselling oh. Metro in particular. It's mostly mm -hmm. just ammo, but... Yeah. No, and that that's Half-Life Alex too. And actually, uh... Your life management. Also, I'm just gonna say this is spoiler territory. If you two want to avert your eyes, I don't know if you care or not. I just wanted to warn you. Okay. Like I said, I'm not gonna play this game. Oh, it's a good game. <laughs> but that was, uh... That was me when I was playing Half-Life Alex. Like, you could have... You have a backpack. Uh, but you also have wrist slots, and in those wrist slots you can store stuff like, um... Uh, the bugs that you can crush into juice for health. So, that's what I, how I usually would store it. But I would have the, the bug juice in there, and then I would, uh, be able to have more health. But... I would have to sacrifice that if I needed to get, like, a fuse or something. I would have to give up my health. But it's a very good game. Half-Life Alex is a great horror game. Can recommend. Actually, I think the... The Metro games, which, um, if you're not familiar, it's... Basically a post-apocalyptic... Shooter game. In which you... Linearly, you know, go through, like, the levels in the story. But one thing that those games do in particular that's interesting is uh, many of the outdoor sections require you to have a gas mask with filters in it that, you know, that work or else yeah. you will die. And, of course, the filters are uh, limited use items, so whenever you're in an outdoors area, you're, you know that you're on a timer, and you must get through the area fairly quickly while also looking around for more resources so, you know, you don't die. And it's kind of interesting because you're still exploring an area, but it adds a bit of a time constraint to it that isn't like a hard time constraint necessarily. Uh, I, I don't 
there might have been a timer visible, but I think don't really know how long the filter lasts. It's just that you start breathing more heavily. Maybe your mask starts fogging up more as it's running out. So there's kind of an There might be an ambiguity there. But uh, it's, it's a neat mechanic. Because, of course... Well, the, you know, the problem with resource management is that if it's not tuned properly, it can just be a headache. But I think the Metro games did a pretty good job with giving you enough uh, gas mask filters to survive the open areas and also putting them in convenient places to where if you didn't have any, you'd be able to find one and get through the area. But still limiting your resources so much to the point where you feel like you're constantly running out of them, if you actually aren't. Yeah, I guess it's also possible for them to, like, not give you enough resources and it becomes actually impossible to complete the game. Yeah, that's can be a problem. I think games usually have some sort of pity system with that, though. Like, maybe it's... Is there something like that in Resident Evil where if you're, like, completely out of ammo or something, it'll give you some ammo? It might, like, increase the amount that you find when you find ammo, but... I don't know of any mechanic when... Well, yeah, like Quigley said, you do have a knife. Um, but that is extremely annoying to use. <laughs> what do you have there? A knife! No! Because there are games that, uh... Of course, if you want to evoke the feeling in someone without actually having to punish them for... failing, I guess. If they don't manage their resources properly, you can always nudge things in the right direction. And if you do it subtly enough, the player won't notice it. Yeah, I think that's going back to the whole difficulty thing. Like, difficulty is supposed to be like evoking an emotion of like you feeling challenged. And different people need to, like a different amount of challenge to get that. Mm -hmm. And so... You would see a similar issue with anything else, like, and that includes horror. So there would be certain games where, like, you don't have to, like, put a lot of horror elements in for a certain player to, like, be afraid, whereas other players won't find that scary at all. Yeah, and that's Half-Life Alex is a good example. I had no fear, fear. Like, the only thing I feared sometimes was when my health was low and ah oh, shit i'm gonna have to redo this whole level again that was my only fear with the game my friend's fear was literally everything actually instilled fear into him he was like this is terrifying for me in many ways while me i did not no nah, it's it's not that scary it's, you shoot aliens oh you got a gun. vr also like enhances that 
Kind of like we were talking about yeah. third person versus first person before. VR is even worse than first yeah. person. You get to shoot things in first person. Mm -hmm. It would be it would be extremely remiss of us not to mention Alien Isolation. I have not played. Yeah, I played. that is a game does a lot of things right, but it it's a long game and. The you you see like you see too much of the alien basically throughout the game just because you're dealing with them for so many hours basically, yeah. and that really like hurts the later half of the game. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I can see that. I guess I'm not sure how universal of an opinion that is, hmm. but I've at least talked to a few different people who've agreed with me on that. With that, Mario? uh, hmm. actually, let me look up how long it is. Time to beat Alien Isolation. Uh, main story, 18 and a half hours. Jeez, that is a long-ass game. Yeah, Holy it's crap. like a horror game where, you know, there are sig portions where a lot of what you're doing is evading or, you know, trying not to draw the attention of the alien, sometimes hiding from it. And that's, that's the thing, when you have... When you have too much familiarity with a game or the mechanics presented in the game, it lessens the impact of the horror elements. Yeah. Because a lot of it's, you know, fairly unknown, I guess, but also if you learn how to manipulate the game's mechanics, then it kind of can break the immersion, I guess. Uh, alien Isolation, they did try to remedy this. The alien acts somewhat unpredictably, and they uh, allegedly adapt to your tricks. Interesting. So, like, the first time you That's use right. the flamethrower against them, it's going to be very effective. But then, the more you use it, generally, the less effective it is. That makes sense. To the point where when you try to use it on them, you can scare them off, but they'll like actually attack you and damage you before you <laughs> can keep them away. Though, uh, man, the, the thing I love doing in that game was just holding the flamethrower up to the alien, but not firing it and having them kind of look like they're not sure what to do. They kind of like keep their distance, but you know, they don't pounce on you, but they don't run away either. Yeah. And you kind of have a standoff of sorts. It was very cool. What? The alien in that game behaves very spookily. Very spooky. And they did a great job with the atmosphere, with, you know, of course, the graphics and the sound design, which sound design is also very important for horror games. We didn't even talk about that. Well, and it's time. It we, is time. We could so do sad. that. I mean, it's spooky month. We can, we can do it again. It's true. We can do it again. Yeah, any any closing thoughts, comments, questions, concerns? Uh, not really. No. Spooky How do you... get spooky nerds. How spooky is Luigi's Mansion? Not very, but it I it's it's got a good atmosphere. For me, I wouldn't say it's spooky. It's a nice Halloween kind of relaxing game though. It's not there's no high stakes. It's it's just a good it's it's good, not for a fright, but it's got a good vibe to it that I think people should enjoy. 
I recommend it. 10 out of 10 game. Best one of the whole series. Play it. <laughs> no. Yes! At least watch a playthrough! <laughs> I have been. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I'm not gonna finish <laughs> it. I'm not even halfway through! Jeez! It's a longer-ish game. Not 18 hours long? No. I would say... Yeah, what did I say before? Two and a half, three-ish? Probably three and a half to four-ish. If you're not speedrunning. But yeah, have a nice night, everyone! Hey. All right.